All right, well, how many of you remember the series that we're in? Right, it's called Prayers That Make a Difference. Right? In this series, we've been looking at some specific people in the Bible who prayed key prayers at key moments of time that moved the hand of God, that made a difference in the situation. And I hope that during this series, that God's been moving on you, and you've been praying some, some prayers that are making a difference in your world and in the lives of people in your world. So, so far, we've looked at Elijah. We looked at David's powerful prayer of repentance. Last week, we looked at Habakkuk's uh, powerful prayer of embracing God in the struggle. And so today, we're going to do something a little bit different, actually over today and uh, next week as well. Instead of looking at a specific person in the Bible who prayed some, uh, a specific prayer, today we're going to look at some things that God says that we should ask him for, some things that God says that we should talk to him about. Let me ask you, how many of you have ever struggled in your prayer life? All right, a bunch of you, right? That, I mean, that's just honest. You know, over the years, I've heard a number of people tell me that you know, they struggle in prayer because they don't know what to talk to God about. And they end up praying the same few phrases over and over again, like, uh, uh, God bless mom and dad, and God bless my children, and God bless uh, sister and brother, and now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep, right? And, uh, you know, I've often wondered, like, why do we teach our kids that prayer? I don't know. I can remember as, like, a five-year-old, uh, the rest of that goes, and um, if I should die before I wake, right? And I'm a five-year-old, and my parents are wondering why I'm coming knocking at the door. Can I sleep with you, right? Uh, the same prayers over and over. I remember someone from years ago who, used to, who was telling me they were frustrated because they kept saying the same things over and over, and after about four or five minutes, they were just done, and it felt frustrating and repetitive and wrote like performing a religious duty and and they were so frustrated because they saw other people who seemed to have such a robust and uh, um, natural prayer life and so if you've ever struggled with feeling like that can I encourage you this morning today is the day you should take some notes and then bring those notes home and apply them to your life, right? This, because there's some specific things in God's words that he says that we should pray about, that we should talk to him about and ask him about. And the cool thing is when you talk to him about the things that he says that we should talk to him about, then you find that your prayers, they're less rote, they're less repetitive and formal, and they're more meaningful and authentic, right? Like a conversation rather than just some religious duty that you're performing. Because each time you talk with God, I mean, you're at a different place than you were the last time. I mean, this year, how many of you are at a different place than you were last year? All right? You may be facing different things than last year. You are at a different place this month and this week than you were last month and last week, and maybe even tomorrow than you are today. And so let's begin to look at some of these things that God says that we should ask him about. So we'll look at several things this week, and then we'll finish up with several more things next week. Now, they're not in any particular order of importance or anything like that. Just four things this week and several more things next week. All right, so the first thing that God says that we should ask him for, at least the first thing in our message, is wisdom. God says that we should ask him for wisdom. In James chapter 1, he tells us, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given you how many of you have ever lacked wisdom before all right like you're facing some situation and you don't know what to do you don't know what the right answer is or maybe you feel like there's a lot more information that you can't see that you'd really like to have and you need more insight oh, i mean that happens to us all the time and here's the beauty of the wisdom that god wants to give us it happens in the context 
of our daily life. It happens in our now, in our today, right? I mean, because the wisdom that God gives us, I mean, it's not just so that you can go up on a mountaintop somewhere in Nepal and have people search you out from all over the world and climb up the mountain and so that you can just expound all this wisdom. What is the meaning of life, right? That's not really the wisdom that, that God wants to give you. The wisdom and insight God says to ask him for, it's something that is in the here and now. It's for your daily living. And look at the context of it. In the three verses before this, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so ask God for wisdom in the context that you are going through. Are you going through trials? Ask God for wisdom. Are you being tested? Is your faith being tested? Ask God for wisdom. Whatever you're facing, ask God for wisdom. And I know the context here is kind of in trials and tribulations and those types of things, but I don't think that we should narrow it to just those types of requests when we're going through some trial or tribulation because there are many other places in Scripture where God says to ask Him for wisdom. Like in Proverbs, the author is speaking to his son, and he says, Listen, my son, get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Get wisdom, though it costs you all you have. Get understanding. So God says ask for wisdom in everything. All right, so that means like in dealing with your family, in dealing with your children, in dealing with your parents, and in dealing with your spouse. How many of you know that even after you've been married for decades, sometimes you still need some of God's wisdom in understanding your spouse, right? <laughs> I think I hit home on that one. Last week, Jill and I, we had our 30th anniversary last week. And, thank you. And Jill can testify that after 30 years, there are still times she needs wisdom. Understanding what's going on inside here, right? And I can testify after 30 years, and to this day, still living with three girls in my house. And even the dog's a girl. <laughs> that sometimes I need some wisdom. <laughs> we need wisdom in everything, right? In all things. Ask God for wisdom on the job, for dealing with your boss, or for wisdom dealing with your employees, and for understanding everything that you go through. And when you ask God for wisdom, right, you're not really asking God for intelligence or smarts or anything like that. You know, that's a little bit different. Don't confuse it with that. When God gives you wisdom, what you're really receiving is a slice of God's perspective. A little piece of seeing a situation the way God sees it, right? Now, we'll probably never in this life have all of God's wisdom, right? I think if God gave us all his wisdom all at once, we'd just, like, explode. But God gives us the wisdom that we need when we need it, when we ask him. And that's something that you can talk to God about every day and have it be different and fresh every day because each day has its own challenges and its own situation. So ask God for a lot of wisdom. And then the second one is kind of like it. Ask God for guidance. You know, wisdom and guidance, they kind of go hand in hand, right? But they are a little bit different from each other. Wisdom has to do with God giving you 
uh, some insight and understanding into a situation. And, and sometimes God gives us his wisdom in order to guide us so that we can make the right decision. But sometimes God's guidance goes even further than that. Sometimes God's unseen hand is guiding us where we need to go, guiding us and protecting us. How many of you have ever experienced that? How many of you have ever made a decision and you weren't sure why you made that decision and you went down one pathway in your life and you found out maybe um, weeks or months or even years later that if you had gone the other pathway, boy, it would have been a disaster. You know, has that ever happened to anyone else? Yeah, right? God's guidance. You know, I remember one time some years ago, uh, my wife Jill, she works in cyber schools and uh, she was working for one cyber school and she just all of a sudden felt like she's looking at another cyber school and, uh, and on, on some level it didn't make sense because it was a little bit of a pay cut and, and all that, but, but she went with that, God was guiding and found out like a year later that if she had stayed in the other place, all sorts of crazy stuff happened, right? That just would have been a, a mess and crazy and, and worse for her, God guiding. Sometimes we don't know um, why God's guiding us a certain way, but we look back and we find out that God was guiding us. And so God says, ask him to guide us. The psalmist said it this way. He said, since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. That was the psalmist's prayer request. And so how, then, do you take this prayer request and turn it into more than just a repetitive prayer every day, like, oh, God, guide me. God, guide me today. God, guide me today. You know? And how do you turn it into more than just a repetitive request like that? Well, it comes, I think, from the kinds of things in the Bible that God says we should ask him to guide us in. Like, for example, the psalmist says in Psalm 25, guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. The psalmist says, God, guide me in your truth. God, give me the things of your truth that I need today. Give me the truth from your word that I need to rightly face the situations that I'm going to face today. You might need a different truth today than you need tomorrow. So God, help me see the truths that I need to apply uh, to my situations today. Or how about this one? When the disciples asked Jesus how, uh, to show them how to pray, one of the things Jesus told them to talk to God about was this. He said, lead us not into temptation. How many of you pray that one? Right, this is the Lord's Prayer, right? This is what Jesus says, one of the things we should be praying about. Lead us not into temptation. You know, sometimes there are some things that are out there. There are some things every day that you don't see that are out there um, and, and uh, that could trip you up. And, and, and Jesus says that pray that God will guide you away from those things. God, guide me away from those destructive types of things that might come across my path. And you know, the most wonderful thing about this is that God wants to lead you and guide you. Right? It's not something that he's, that's out there just for special people. right? Or it's not something he, he holds out there on a carrot stick that, that's just a little bit too far that you, you can never get. right? God wants to lead you and guide you. Listen to this beautiful passage in the Gospel of John, chapter 10. And Jesus is talking about the shepherd who, who, who's himself, and he says this. The sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them out, all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. I mean, this is really beautiful. Because, you know, sheep don't always know where to find good pasture. But the shepherd does. 
And sheep don't always know when there's a wolf or a predator coming, but the shepherd does. And sheep don't really know always how to deal with the wolf and, and the predators when they come, but the shepherd does. You know, in Psalm 23, you all know Psalm 23, right? And it says, uh, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Right? You're, you've all heard that before, right? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Well, the staff, we all know what that was. It looks bigger than this, but it's kind of like this, right? It's this, this long uh, stick that's got this, this crook on the end. And the shepherd used that for guiding the sheep because sheep were prone to just go astray and wander their own way. So the shepherd would use it and, and say, you know, well, you're going a little bit too far that way. Come here, stay, with the, stay on the path, stay in the right pasture, right? The, sheep, uh, the shepherd guides the sheep with the staff. But the rod was much more of a shorter, kind of club-like tool. And one of the things the shepherd used the rod for was for fending off predators, wolves and predators, when they would come. And it's said that a skilled shepherd could hurl that rod over an entire flock of sheep and, and, and hit a wolf on the other side, that a shepherd could do that. Say, the good shepherd knows how to protect the sheep. Someone say amen to that. The good shepherd knows how to defend his sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd. He knows how to guide us and protect his sheep from wolves and from predators. The Bible says, well, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in high places. And Jesus knows how to deal with those threats. And look at the phrase there in verse 4. It says, we follow him, and he goes on ahead of us. You know, we may not always know uh, what's at the end of our journey. We can't always see, you know, where this path is taking us, where, the, where, the, where this pasture is taking us. But the shepherd knows where he's going. He's on the scene with his staff and his rod, and he's ready to deal with every situation that you will ever face. But notice here that this protection, this guidance, is for those who are doing what? Listening to his voice and following him. When you listen to his voice and follow him, he will guide you and he will protect you. And so um, this is not for the person who's all um, going off their own way, saying, well, I know what God says and I know he's talking over there, but I'm going off this way. I'm going to do my own thing and he's back there and he'll be there when I need him. No, that guidance is not for that. The guidance is for the one who will listen to his voice and follow him. Ask God for wisdom. Ask God for guidance. And those two things, those first two things, they're kind of personal and internal, right? So what about some external and outward things to pray about? Well, here's one. How about this? Jesus says that we should talk to God about sending out workers into the harvest field. You know, what a good time to talk about this when we have a whole team of people down at City Gate ministering in the harvest field, right? Right? Look at Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 35. He says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Now, that sounds like a lot of work, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds like Jesus is expending a lot of energy in here, and he's doing it all himself. Look at, and then look at verse 36. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And this shows us something really amazing 
about Jesus. I mean, he's been working really hard. He's been seeing lots of people. The crowds have been crowding around him. Everyone wants something from him. Everyone wants a piece of him. And when he sees all of these crowds, more crowds coming, he doesn't just see a group of needy people, right? He doesn't just see more work. No. Instead, he has compassion. He sees them as sheep without a shepherd. That's how Jesus is. That's how Jesus looks at our world and our country and our state, our communities. He doesn't just see a crowd of nameless people. He sees lost sheep that he would like to shepherd. And so in verses 37 and 38, he turns to his disciples and he says this, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So Jesus tells his followers, that's you, right? Talk to God about sending workers into the harvest. Have you talked to God about that lately? And, and you know, this image of the harvest, I mean, it's really powerful because when the fields are ripe, if you don't harvest it, what happens to it? It rots on the vine, right? And if you don't have enough harvesters to harvest the entire crop, you lose some of the crop. Some of what was meant to come into the storehouses instead is lost. And so Jesus looks at our world and he says, you know, there's plenty of harvest, but not enough workers to work in the harvest field. And so he tells them, ask God about that. Pray to God about that. Talk with God about sending forth workers. And when you see an opening, when you see something that needs to be done, talk to God about it. And when you do, watch out. Because look what happened in the next verse, chapter 10, verse 1. This is the very next verse. It says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him, gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Right? He gave them the same authority that he had, an ability and power, to go out and do what he was doing. And then a few verses later, Jesus sent them out saying, as you go, proclaim the message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, so freely give. And so right after telling them to pray that God would send out people into the harvest, Jesus sends out the very people that he told to pray about it. I mean, so don't be surprised if you start to pray something about something, about something to do with the harvest, if somehow you aren't part of the answer to that prayer. I mean, that's not uncommon at all. Now, at the same time, I don't want you to get all worried. Like, if you think that some people think that everything they pray about, God's going to make them do until you're busy 24-7 to the point of unhealthiness, right? I'm not talking about that. But sometimes God puts a burden on your heart to pray for something, and then you're part of the answer. Did you know that in all of the Gospels, there are only two? I mean, that I know of, there are only two personal prayer requests that Jesus made, saying, telling people to pray something for him. One was at the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus said that he was overwhelmed. And it was that day he was going to be crucified. And uh, he asked Peter and James and John to come and, and pray with him and watch with him. And the other is here. Jesus is concerned about the harvest, about people. So concerned that he asked them to ask God about sending more workers out. He's so concerned about these lost sheep that he asked them to ask God about sending out shepherds, as it were, to lead them to the good shepherd, to Jesus. And so as you pray, mention the harvest to God. 
I mean, mention not just the harvest all over the world. Sure, pray for our missionaries and the harvest all over the world, but, but also pray for the harvest that's near you, the harvest that you're going to begin, the, the people that you're going to come in contact with. God, pray for that person and this person. God, God, send someone to them, or maybe it's going to be me. God, give me an opportunity. To, maybe I can pray something for them or speak something to them or encourage them in some way in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray for the harvest. And by the way, let me say thank you. As, as a pastor, let me say thank you to each of you who are involved in some way in the harvest field, in some ministry here, whether you're involved in children's ministries or kids' ministries, youth, or adults' ministries, or outreach ministries, or technical, or whatever it is, or ushers and, and greeters and visitation. God bless you for being a part of the harvest. May God increase his harvest among us, in Jesus' name. And as long as you're praying for the harvest, by the way, Here's another idea that the Bible says that you should be talking to God about. And it's this. Pray for your pastors and your missionaries. And some of you are probably saying right now, pray for our pastors. Pastor Paul, what are you talking about? I thought you're the one who prays for us. Don't the pastors pray for us? And, and the answer is, well, yeah, we do. We love to pray for you, right? We pray for you at our staff meetings. We pray for you at, at board meetings. We pray for you during church services here. We pray for you during our devotions. We're lifting you guys up in prayer, right? And uh, we pray for you after service, during service. We'll love to pray for you, and, and we'll continue to pray for you. Paul says that in, in, in most of his letters that he's praying for them, the ones that he's writing to. But did, did you know that in almost all of Paul's letters, at some point, usually near the end, he also asks them to pray for him. And it's some specific stuff as well. In the letter to the Philippian believers, he just kind of assumes that they are praying for him. He's writing from prison. He's in very difficult circumstances. And he says this. He says, yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And so he rejoices that they're praying for him. And he's not just trying to get them to do some religious duty or anything like that. He believes that their prayers are making a difference in his situation. And then in his letter to the Romans, chapter 1, he tells them all that he's been constantly remembering them in all of his prayers all the time. But then at the end of the letter, he starts telling them what's going on with him. He wants to come visit them. Uh, he, but he's been prevented. He's going to go to Jerusalem first with his benevolent offering for the saints in Jerusalem. And... And he asks them, he says to these Roman believers, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. He wants them to talk to God about him and his situation. And then he gets specific. He says, pray that I may be kept from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there. I mean, he's their pastor, he's their missionary, and he shares with them some specific needs. And you know, how many of you have ever heard me encourage you maybe to go by our missions wall over here and maybe choose somebody, maybe once a week or once a month, to choose a, a, a missionary family to be praying for that week or that month, right? A few of you have heard me. Oh, please, everybody raise your hand. <laughs> well, it occurs to me, but I mean, that that's good, but it's just been occurring to me this week that, you know, Paul asked for some very specific things. And so wouldn't it be great if you knew some more specific things about our missionaries and what is going on with them? 
And, and so um, I thought, you know what? We get all of these letters like once a month or some of them once a quarter on what's going on with them. Sometimes they have prayer requests. So we've decided, and we started this past week, to put some of those requests on our uh, Lancaster First Assembly of God prayer group, Facebook prayer group page. And so that you can see those prayer requests, the specific prayer requests that our missionaries are asking about. How many, any of you noticed that this week? We just started putting some of those up. Yeah, all right, good. And so I encourage you, if you're not part of that group yet, why not? Right? Uh, just go um, on Facebook and search for the Lancaster First Assembly of God prayer group and ask to join that group. And you'll get updates not just on our missionaries, but on all sorts of other things that are happening in our church as, as well. And you can be praying some really specific things for all of these people and our, and our missionaries included. Amen. All right. Near the end of the letter to the Colossians, Paul tells them to devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And then he has this. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. You know, sometimes Paul was hindered uh, from preaching the gospel. He wanted to go to this city, and it was hindered, and the door closed, right? And uh, there were times he wanted to go to certain places, and everything was closed up. And he, and he asked them to pray that God would open doors for the message of the gospel. Can I tell you what? That is a great thing to be praying for right now. We have had over the past year, because of COVID, so many doors shut to us. I mean, places that we were proclaiming the gospel, and they're just shut to us right now. This is a great time to be asking God to begin to open those doors up again, and to, be, and to begin opening new doors for the gospel to advance. And then he goes on and he says this, he says, and I kind of like this one. He says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Don't you like that one? I mean, you want your pastor to make sense when he's talking to you, right? Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Pray that God gives me clarity, right? Pray that God gives missionaries clarity to proclaim the message in a gospel of the gospel in a, in a language that is often their second language. Pray that God gives me clarity on not just the messages I preach, but the series I preach, and, and so that I can have clarity on what um, should be preached in this day and in this hour. Paul says, pray that... God gives me clarity. In Thessalonians, here's another great one that goes right along with that. Paul's first letter to Thessalonians, he says, we always thank God for you, and we continually mention you in our prayers. So he's praying for them. But then, at the end of the second letter to them, he says this, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, just as it was with you. I really like that one. Pray for an increase in the rate that the gospel is spread and communicated and honored and received. Pray that in our, in our day, that God, more and more people will hear the gospel and respond to the gospel and, and, and honor the gospel. Right here in America, through our pastors, right here in Lancaster County, and through the entire body of Christ. Oh, dear Jesus, please answer that prayer. We need that prayer answered that the gospel would spread more and more rapidly and be honored rapidly in the name of Jesus. Then he goes on in verse 2, he says, pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. And you know, these Thessalonian believers, they, they had some experience with that. They knew exactly, experientially, what Paul was talking about in Acts 17, when he brought the gospel to Thessalonica, to these believers. 
is that there, you know, there were some um, Jewish people who were persuaded to follow Jesus along with this large number of God-fearing Greek. Now, when it says God-fearers in the Bible, what that really means is th- these would have been non-Jewish people who were kind of maybe fed up with the paganism of their day, and so they had begun following the Jewish God. Maybe they go to synagogue, they hear from the law and the prophets, so they're, they're God-fearing Greeks. But they hadn't yet become full Jewish converts, the men that hadn't been circumcised and gone through all the rites of becoming a full Jewish convert, right? And so this large number of them, they, they follow Paul, right? And, and, and Paul's telling them that, well, now they don't need to be circumcised, right? And so there were some, it says, some of those who weren't following Paul who grew jealous and they were, they were upset. And so in verse 5, it says that they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, They formed a mob and started a riot in the city. Rounded up a bunch of believers and they dragged them before the city officials and began to falsely accuse them, claiming that they were causing trouble and that they were all guilty of treason against Caesar. So these Thessalonian believers, they knew what godless, wicked, and evil people were capable of. They had experienced it, right? And so Paul was dealing with that situation everywhere he went. And so we asked them, pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people. For not everyone has faith. You know, some of our missionaries are in really dangerous situations, sensitive situations. Some of our missionaries, they don't even tell us where they are because if they're found out what they're doing, the government there will expel them. Pray for them. And then pray for some of our national pastors too because some of our national pastors in these situations, you know, if they're caught or if the government gets upset with them, they're not expelled. They face worse situations. So pray for them. And that leads us to Ephesians. This is the last one, then we'll close. Ephesians chapter 6. Paul's been talking to them about putting on the full armor of God. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the readiness of the gospel, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, all of those great things, right? Put on all of those things. And then he says in verse 18, and pray. Pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and Request. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. I mean, that's great. Pray all the time. Pray for everything. Pray in every way. Pray for everybody, right? Talk to God a lot. Then he goes on and adds this. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. He says it twice, fearlessly, and he's asking them to pray about that. And now wait a minute. I thought Paul, I mean, I thought he was the guy that was just naturally fearless. It didn't faze him at all, right? Uh, he, He sometimes can come across that way in the scriptures, that he was impervious to outward pressures, you know? So why does he feel this need then to express this prayer request. You know, Paul experienced more pressure to stop speaking or to change the gospel message to something more palatable than perhaps anyone in all of history. I mean, he was flogged many times. He was beaten with rods three times, pelted with stones and left for dead. He was imprisoned several times, often in danger from Gentiles and in danger from his own countrymen. And you know what? His own countrymen what they were really upset about was that he kept on telling these Gentiles that they didn't need to fully convert to Judaism. 
in order to be in good with God. They could be in God, in good with God, without converting to Judaism by following the Lord Jesus Christ. And there was a lot of pressure brought on him to change that message. And, and if we would have just compromised on that message, they would have left him alone. It would, have, it would have saved him a lot of grief. I mean, Paul felt that pressure. And at the same time, he knows that he can't change the message of Jesus to make anybody else happy. The gospel is the gospel. But sometimes the temptation is this. Instead of changing the message, to just stop speaking about certain parts of the message or certain parts of the word of God that people are getting upset about. And so he brings this request, pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should, that I won't be afraid of any parts of the gospel. You know, there's been increasing public pressure on Christians and on pastors in particular to change certain aspects and standards in the word of God, to make them more palatable to certain sections of our culture. Sometimes the anger and the vitriol is palpable. And sometimes it feels like more and more those who are, hold to biblical views are like the Christians in Thessalonica being dragged, metaphorically, dragged into the public squares of society and being falsely accused. And it's been going on for decades, really, but it's been growing in intensity in the last few years. And I expect that it will continue to grow in intensity. And I also must say to my my great disappointment that I've seen several evangelical pastors recently cave on some of these issues. The pressure is increasing. And while, you know, I think it's important with these issues to watch what our tone is, to not come across as angry and hateful, but at the same time, no pastor has any right to change anything in God's word. We have no right before God to adjust his word to make it more acceptable or palatable for anybody. And if Paul felt that pressure, enough that he asked for others to pray for him, that he would continue to proclaim the message of God fearlessly as he should, then who am I to think that I'm any different than the Apostle Paul? And so that's why I covet your prayers. You should pray for me regularly. You should pray for all of your pastors regularly that we would proclaim the word of God clearly, that we proclaim the word of God fearlessly, that doors would open for the gospel and that the gospel would advance quickly, rapidly, as never before. And you know what? I want to pause here as well to say thank you. Thank you to all of you who've told us, me or Pastor Mark or Jill or Mary, uh, that you're praying for us. You have no idea what that does. When I hear that, that you are praying for us and interceding for us. It's the sweetest thing that we can ever hear. Thank you so much. And so talk to God about what he says to talk to him about. Ask him for wisdom. Ask him for guidance. Talk to him about the harvest. And pray for God's favor and blessing on your missionaries, on your pastors. So those are a few things to talk to God about this week. Hope that helps you in your prayer life this week. And next week, we'll continue with several other things that the Bible says that we should be talking to God about. Would you all bow with me in prayer for just a moment as we close this service? Oh, Heavenly Father, God, thank you. Thank you so much that you want to hear from us. 
God, thank you that there are things that you want us to talk to you about and that you want to talk to us about, God, in your word and by your spirit. And so, God, I pray that this week, all these people gathered here, God, you will fill this body of Christ with renewed passion for talking to you about some of these things that we've seen in your word, God. God, give wisdom. God, give guidance, God. Use your people to intercede for the harvest and, God, for their missionaries and pastors and do some amazing things through the prayer life of the body of Christ here at First Assembly in Lancaster, God. Move in amazing ways, we pray. For it's in the name of Jesus we ask. Everyone that loves him said amen and amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Growing closer to the Lord Jesus this week. And if any of you have any other needs or anything you want prayer for, I'm going to be down here. I'm going to wait a while. You can uh, feel free to come and we'll, and we'll pray uh, together for, for any of those things that you have needs over. Amen. God bless you.